Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Welcome back all you wonderful wine lovers. Today I'm really excited to introduce you to Jo Waring. She is the UK market manager for Wines of South Africa. I'm sure many of you have heard of all the struggles and the heartache that's gone on with the wine industry in South Africa during these tough times. So she's going to talk a little bit more about what's happening, what's changing and all the exciting developments and give us a little bit of a tourist route. So as soon as we can jump on that plane, we know exactly what we're going to do. So stay tuned for that. My question of the week for you guys is on Pinotage, which is the signature grape variety of South Africa. Have you heard of it, first of all? That's not the question. The question is, it's a crossing between two grape varieties. So do you know what they are? Now, don't Google them if you don't. Just stay to the end of the podcast. (laughs) So whilst you behave yourself and stay away from Google, let's look at my winery of the week. So my winery of the week is A.A. Badenhorst. Now, this is A.D. Badenhorst, who is an award-winning winemaker in South Africa. His full name is Andre Adrian Badenhorst, hence the initials. Now, he is one of the main winemakers who has put Swartland, the wine region, on the map. So much so, I am going to focus a little bit on that later on in the episode, so you can learn all about Swartland, the old vines, and the natural wines that are made there. Now, A.D. grew up around wine, so his grandfather was the general manager for 46 years at Groot Constancia. I'm going to touch on the history of the wine industry in South Africa in a minute. So listen out for Group Constancia and you'll realise its absolute significance. This is the winery that dates back to the beginning. So his father was basically born on vineyards, started farming in the Constancia region in the neighbouring vineyards to Group Constancia. And long story short, whilst AD was running around as a child, at 13 years old, he was offered to make his first wine. And that is where it started. So learned to make wine properly, studied it, did a few harvests in Chateau Angelus in Bordeaux on the right bank. This is a premier Grand Cru Classe A this is how it's classified in Santa Million, basically the top of the top. So he did quite a few harvests there. He then went on to Alangrillon, which is in the Northern Rhone, specifically in Creusemetage. And he basically makes the benchmark for this area. His wines are in serious demand. Then he went on to Wither Hills in New Zealand. He's done several posts in South Africa and spent nine years in Rustenburg. And Rustenburg was one of my wineries of the week a few episodes ago. So I'm keeping things close to home quite clearly. (laughs) It was actually in 2008 that he decided to go out on his own. He bought 60 hectares in the Swartland with his cousin and everything is done in a very natural sense, in a traditional sense, with old foudres, like these huge big old oak barrels and cement vats. And to just reinforce his status as somebody with such talent and skill, he's one of the members of the Cape Winemakers Guild, which is basically an association for the best winemakers of South Africa to innovate, to share their knowledge and 
make sure that the wine industry keeps on getting better. So I have opened up the AA Badenhorst Golden Slopes Chenin Blanc 2016. He has the family red and the family white and then there's a more entry-level range which is called the Secateurs. They're generally the wines he makes but Every year, there will be some special wines, quirky wines, different wines, wines that deserved to be made that year. And this 2016 Chenin Blanc comes from a single vineyard plot that was planted in 1966, hence the old vines that I mentioned that come from Swartland. And this is the first year that he has picked this and put it in a bottle by itself because apparently it behaved so well that year, it needed to be bottled. It could not be blended. So the Golden Slopes is named after the deep yellow kind of coloured granite soils that it comes from. So let's have a little try of this delicious wine. Oh my gosh. Okay, I'm, I need... This nose is gorgeous. It is rich. It's luscious. Like I'm getting all this mango fruit, these gorgeous peaches, ripe, ripe even oranges, and, and a real creaminess, maybe even some cinnamon. Oh gosh, this is going to be a very good shedded. That is stunning. Guys, go and get this wine now. This you can buy at Hanford Wines. They sell it online, 36.99. Do it. It's rich. It's got these like these tangy tangerines on the palate. All of that mango and that ripe kind of stone fruits, but also with like some underripe pineapple. And actually, I wonder if there's some skin contact here because I'm getting that. I'm getting a little bit of texture and tannin, a little grip with it. This is stunning actually this and i'm not just saying this because you should buy south african wine wow but i guess now we need to go on to the history of south africa well cheers guys uh, one more sip before i carry on mm. so south africa in fact even though it's considered a new world wine region it's the oldest of the New World, making wine since 1659. And back then, it was the Dutch East India Company that came. The governor at the time, Jan van Riebeek, he started planting vines. They needed to provide food and wine for all the sailors. And the Cape Town, it was this perfect place for a trading station. So after the first wine was actually bottled in 1659, this was in Constantia, this began the development. But it was actually the second governor that came along, Simon van der Steel who was very knowledgeable and planted a very, very legendary vineyard, the Constantia Wine Estate. This was founded in 1685. He died, it went into disrepair, it's been revived, the estate actually got separated into different vineyards, so there's a whole lot of history there. But we are talking about what is now known as the Groot Constantia Estate. I mean, they were making the most legendary dessert wine that travelled the whole world. This was a legendary dessert wine. So if you want to taste from these estate, you need to look for Groot Constantia Estate and also the Van de Constantia that comes from Klein Constantia. Okay, now in the late 1800s, like many other wine regions in the world, they were hit with phylloxera, that 
awful bug that basically just kills everything. Then they started replanting to a point that actually they had surplus, they had too much and it was depressing all the prices. And that's when the KWV came into place. So this was the South African government founding this company that was effectively just a co-op at the beginning, which then turned into something far more powerful. And then they created the rules and the pricing for the industry. So they became huge. Now they still exist today. But two things that really changed and allowed the development and the focus on quality was the KWV privatizing and changing its organization so it meant that vineyard owners had to work harder to achieve their quality they couldn't just sell grapes specifically following the the rules that KWV had set but also apartheid which finished in 1994 and what that meant was that the export market was allowed to open up flying winemakers could come in and the development that really changed from the 1990s onwards has been pretty impressive so i want to make a little bit of a focus on one of the most dynamic wine regions of south africa at the moment and that is swartland now if you haven't heard of swartland this is about 40 miles north of cape town now in swartland the reason why you need to know about this region is it's now being filled with young eager energetic winemakers who are doing fantastic things so let's just quickly look at the wine region as a whole in general south africa has some of the oldest soils in the world but apparently the oldest oldest are in Swatland themselves. It is actually dominated by a really interesting soil called Malmesbury Shale. There's a little bit of volcanic soils and granitic soils and sand and there's a real mixture. It's a mixed bag all over but there is a special Malmesbury Shale which is very good for retaining the rain that doesn't really come but in the winter it can hold on to it so dry farming is a real thing here so non-irrigated vines this is the region which is now getting loads of attention for really old vines Chenin Blanc is doing really really well here and probably the counterpart in terms of red is going to be Shiraz it is a hot Mediterranean climate so the Mediterranean varieties do really well there so in addition to Shiraz you're also getting lovely Grenache, Sanso, Mourvedre so those southern Rhone blends the GSM blends are also something that's going very well in this region. Swatland itself is actually quite a big wine region but right in the middle is Malmesbury hence that soil name, Malmesbury Shell. Malmesbury, that's in the middle. That's one of the main regions where you'll find a lot of the wineries, followed by also Paderberg, which has a little bit more altitude. You can find hills up to about 700 metres. They're the highest generally in Swartland, so a little bit more of a cooling influence here. And the other region is the Rebeck Valley. So these are the three, if you wanted to come and do a wine route, that also include olive growers. So a nice combination. So there's one guy that was integral to Swartland getting the name that it has got so far. And that's a guy called Charles Back of Fairview. He was making, you may have already heard of this, his wine's called Goats de Rome, a bit of a play on words with the Coats de Rome. So he was making these blends, these Goats de Rome blends, and he was looking for a Sauvignon Blanc. And he tasted a Sauvignon Blanc that came from Swatland. Now he was just looking for cheap grapes that he could put in these blends and was so shocked by the quality of the Sauvignon Blanc. By the end of the day, he had gone to that exact vineyard and he had bought it. 
So he bought this vineyard, then decided to start creating a wine brand called Spice Root. This still exists today. So you may want to go and check out the Spice Root wines. They're, they're really, they're great value, really, really tasty. And he made a very intelligent decision. He hired Eben Sadie. If you want to look up any kind of winemaker that's doing fantastic things, Eben Sadie has done an awful lot, not only for South Africa, but specifically for Swartland. So he worked with Charles Back for a few years making these spice root wines and then went on to found his own winery called the Sadie Family Wines. We'll talk about his wines at the end. I'll give you a list of producers that you want to check out. But after this happened, that brought more investment, more people, knowledge. People realised the potential of this incredible region and it has grown from there. It's still very small what's exciting about this region because there is so many different kind of valleys it's interspersed with lots of mountains lots of hilly slopes again different soils there's a lot that can come out of it so it's very terroir driven it's very much about the farming here so that's led to these young passionate winemakers creating a group called the Swartland Independent Producers so this is an organization where they all have to have the same values and follow rules so it's a bit of a kind of AOC style like they've created almost an appellation now the idea of this is that the wines are made much more naturally not all of them have to be natural but they have to follow rules such as you can't add in any yeast you can't add in any acidity you can't add in any tannins you can't do any processes like reverse osmosis I talked about the natural wines in the episode before so if you haven't checked that out go and listen now and understand natural wines a little bit more this probably is the region for natural wines in South Africa. And if you are part of the Swartland Independent Producers, you can put a seal on your bottle. So you're going to know that already they're not adding anything and it's very minimal intervention. They are, however, allowed to use up to about 25% new oak. So that is something different that natural, natural winemakers would not use. But the whole idea of this is producing top quality wines that showcase their specific terroir. They're also not actually allowed to use a majority of grape varieties like Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Chardonnay and Sauvignon Blanc. So in fact, they believe the varieties such as Carignan, Chenin Blanc, Marsan, even Muscats, Roussans, Viognes, Pinotage, I should mention Pinotage, the grape variety of South Africa. These grape varieties have to be at least 90% of the blend and then they can put in a little bit of Sauvignon Blanc or Cabernet Sauvignon. So it's really nice that they encourage these lesser known varieties, lots of blends, but it's because they believe that they grow best in this area. Now, if you like the sound of trying some of these fantastic, exciting, new-ish, wines look out for the Sadie family wines as I already mentioned he has two wines that have basically become cult wines he only makes about 500 cases so you've got the Colomella which is a Syrah and Mouvetre blend and then you've got the Palladius which is a white blend they're sensational and of course you have A.A. Badenhorst who is my winery of the week so you already know all about these wines you've also got Moulineau they make a really beautiful Syrah and an old vine white blend and if you really like the natural wines there's a great winemaker called Craig Hawkins and he makes wines with the Lamashuk winery where everything is natural and he also makes the Testa Longa wines where there's a lot of skin contact so you may want to check things out there's also worth mentioning is the Porcelainburg 
wines. Now, the Porcelain Lehmburg wines, to give you an idea of their vineyards, for the first two years of the Colomella wines, the Colomella, the Syrah, Mouvetra blend from the Sadie family, they were using the vines from the vineyards of Porcelain for their first two vintages, which is pretty cool. Now, there's loads of wineries you can investigate, so I'll leave you to find them out. But I think now seems like a good chance to go over to the chat with Joe from the wines of South Africa. So thank you so much, Joe, for joining me. I'm super excited to talk about the wines of South Africa. Oh, thank you very much for inviting me. No, well, I think obviously it's a very important topic to cover because if people don't already know, I mean, South Africa has had a tough time throughout the years in general. And now I think it would be fair to say they have been hit with the worst of what's happened with coronavirus, wouldn't you say? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. We've had a tough few years in terms of drought in the winelands and smaller mm-hmm. harvest. So sort of going into the COVID situation on the back of that, you know, we know it's been tough for a lot of industries, but I, I think it is fair to say that we've been hit harder than most. Yeah. You know, the beginning of lockdown, for five weeks we had we were unable to export, we couldn't transport wine, and then to have on top of that the, the ban on domestic sales. Um mm-hmm. Our producers have had a lot to deal with. South Africa, you know, they are, they're a very resilient bunch, and you know, we 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 do try to stay positive, and we know we'll get through this. But yeah, it's been challenging. <laughs> what do you think has been the worst hit? So I know that so there was five weeks that they were not allowed to export, and then there was the two sets of the local bands. So what do you think was the biggest hit? Was actually the exports a bigger hit for South Africa, or actually that not being able to sell locally? I think it will be the domestic sales that will hit us hardest. And without being too much of a geek, when I was looking (laughs) at our export figures, (laughs) I do like a number. We, I mean, our our total exports in April were down 73% by volume and value. So, I mean, that was a huge drop. Um, But then we have seen that improve. So May and June, our our figures were back up again. And our figures for July were really positive. So value value exports were up 58% so overall because mm-hmm. that was one of the questions I wanted to say you know certainly in the UK and I've seen it over social media and people have been really embracing now that South Africa can send the wines and export we've got to buy more so that we can get more shipments on the water and we can help South Africa you said that obviously the last month the the sales were up so you've seen that coming from do you th- the other countries really trying to get behind buying South African wine I mean, certainly here, it's been it's in the UK. really wonderful to see in the UK, absolutely. We've mm. had so many importers and retailers doing absolutely everything they can to support South Africa and you know, creating promotions, encouraging people to buy the wines. I've been really overwhelmed by it, actually. I think it's been utterly heartwarming to see how much people care about the producers that they work with and the country. And you know, we've obviously been trying to drive that with doing a lot of social media on Spectacular mm-hmm. South Africa and Say Let's Say Wine. Without the, without the wine business getting, getting involved as well, that would be a kind of you know, a lone voice. So it's been really wonderful. And I think it will do an awful lot to help South Africa, I think. So we have about half of the wines 
are sold domestically and, and then roughly half is exported. So okay. you've got a big hole to fill in terms of those domestic wine sales oh, and, sure. and, and people pushing as hard as they can in what markets help so much. Well, hopefully that continues. So obviously the great news is, as we record this today, this is the week that South Africa has been allowed to sell locally again. So the ban has been taken off, but it's not fully, there's rules in place, isn't there? Yes, so it's Monday to Thursday and it's within restricted hours. Mm -hmm. Um, But we are able to sell online, so that's a huge help to a lot of businesses. And we can now sell wine in restaurants as well. So, you know, I think a lot of our producers have put plans in place to try and just make the most of it, really. Yeah. Well, as long at the end of the day, if you know you can't buy wine Friday and Saturday, you buy it on yeah, Thursday you and you buy a you lot. Buy it when you can, absolutely. <laughs> I think everybody's uh, been stocking up as much as they can. Well, I think, you know, we personally, you, I should probably say, you, you look after wines of South Africa just in the UK. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, that's my job is to look after this market. Yeah, and so obviously both of us being in the UK, we can comment much better on, on this country. But I think what with people who've already backed, you know, hashtag drink South Africa and hopefully people listening, if you didn't know about this or you haven't gone and uh, bought any South African wine, go and do it now. Because if if the exports can go up and stay up, that really is going to help South Africa in general, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, obviously I've got a I've got a lovely bunch of colleagues that work all around the world. And I think I think we've all felt the support for, for South Africa. So it's it's not just unique to the UK. I think it is something that we've seen globally, which is just great. For sure. I mean, I again, whether this is correct, but I did read on some wine literature, there's like a surplus of about 300 million litres of juice because, of course, what's the point in bottling it? It's not going to go anywhere. That's that's kind of scary. Yeah, I know. You're absolutely right. And I think hopefully what we'll see over the next six months is that shake out. And again, you know, if we can keep pushing people to buy our wines and sell, then that will balance out. Um, because mm-hmm. we haven't actually had big harvest. But Is that because of the drought? Yeah, so our harvest was, it was slightly up in um, 2020, actually, because fortunately, we've had plenty of rain. So the drought situation has has really kind of... Yeah, let's take a quick side note, seeing as we're talking about. So the droughts I heard, I did speak to somebody who lived in South Africa quite a while ago, and they were telling me it was such a bad situation. Even the amount of uh, water you can use in a shower is so minimal. People have to be so, so careful with water because it's so scarce. Yeah, I mean, at the peak, that was absolutely true you know there was a I think it was a 60 second shower um everybody was saving their shower water to use as gray water in their garden so I think the whole mentality about water use really mm-hmm. shifted in South Africa and I think that sort of you know making sure that you're not wasting water that you're conserving it not just not just in business and in the wine industry, which is something that people have been conscious of for a long time. But yeah, your own personal use and you know, yeah. whether you flush the loo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, I think long term, that's a good thing. I think you need to, you know, we all need to be aware of what we're doing and how it impacts on the environment. And Absolutely. Yeah, just changing the mindset, I think. Well, I know this is a wine podcast, but guys, for those of you that run the tap when you're brushing your teeth and you keep running the tap, don't run the tap. <laughs> <laughs> wherever you are stop running the tap and then drink south african wine um but yeah, so, <laughs> so we said 2020 you got the water so 2019 are you telling me was still a really tough drought situation 
Yes, we still had a small harvest in 2019. Okay. Uh, very good quality, but smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yeah, so we did see the harvest improve in 2020 and we were all geared up for, you know, what was going to be an exciting year for us. And then, of course, the beginning of 2020, <sighs> everything changed. And um, But I think we are seeing surplus of wine throughout the world. And I think you know, the economics will impact, but yeah. we're very positive that, South Africa will recover and we'll keep driving our message of, you know, producing really quality wines that are, you know, good value for money, but just deliver for any price point. Fab. Now, what do you think? They've talked about some estimates. What are we looking at? What are they thinking in terms of loss to the country and lost jobs? Um, well, it was estimated by Vimpro that the wine industry had lost about 7 billion rand since March. Mm-hmm. And there have also been estimates of job losses of between sort of 18 and 21,000. Mm. Um, at the moment, I think we're looking, those, those are kind of estimates. We don't know what's going to happen for the rest of this year. But, you know, it's, it's undeniable that this has had a huge impact on the industry. It's, it's an industry that employs about 300,000 people and a lot of people that are not only are, are those workers reliant, but also their families, their extended families. Um, so it's, it has been a very dramatic situation for the industry. Yeah. And, no, I can imagine. You know, I think we, you know, we will work really, really hard to make the best recovery we can, but it is, it's going to be quite a long road to recovery. We're not expecting things to kind of go back to normal overnight in, in any sense. And what about tourism? What about people coming to South Africa? That must be non-existent right now. Yeah, and I, I think that element of the industry is one that is going to suffer for a long time because we really don't even know how that's going to look in 20. 2021 but tourism mm. has been a really big part of promoting the wine industry you know we've always said that if we could just take everybody from the UK over to South Africa two weeks oh, in the wine land yes, <laughs> no, it'd be great, wouldn't it? um, <laughs> once you've experienced it there it's so it's such a beautiful part of the world tell us more about the fauna the flora these wine regions would you fly into cape town where yeah, do we go so the, the easiest thing to do is fly into cape town that's the that's the sort of big international hub and what's mm-hmm. quite unique for south africa is that you've got almost all of the winelands are within about two two to three hours drive of cape town so it's actually incredibly easy okay. cape town is a, is a really brilliant city to go and visit you know on its own it's an yeah. experience because you've got the you know the oceans you've got table mountain you've got this incredible history that you can explore um going to robin island and there are so many different experiences you can have with beautiful gardens at Kirstenbosch. so i would always say it at the start of any trip spend a couple of days in Cape Town because it's just not to be missed and there's amazing restaurants and I mean I could wax lyrical about this for hours and hours (laughs) (laughs) Um, but then sort of moving really quite close so you've got the Constantia wine region which is very very close to Cape Town yeah and this is the history as well isn't it this is the oldest wines really you know where Mm. it all began and then you've got sort of 45 minutes outside of Cape Town is Stellenbosch, which is, I think people really feel that that's the kind of... The heart. wine capital. Yeah, and it's yeah. a beautiful town. It's got all these gorgeous Cape Dutch buildings. It's got lovely guest houses. It's 
again, such a wonderful place to spend some time. Okay, and in Stellenbosch, you've obviously got False Bay, which helps cool everything down. In False Bay, is there some beaches? Is there is there is there a bit of a hub going on there? Is there yeah, restaurants I mean, around False Bay? I mean, it's, Stellenbosch is really the the place that you would go for the restaurants and. The hotels and okay, it's inland. Yeah, right. Um, mm-hmm. But there's lots of, I mean, there's lots of coasts all the way around the wine regions. So I'd say one of the areas that, if again, if I was going from a tourism perspective, would be to go down to Hermanus, which is a beautiful little seaside town. Oh, and yes, and you go whale whale yeah, watching. So you get the whales there from yeah. kind of normally around September time. It's, I mean, it, you can do land-based whale watching if you don't have sea legs, or you can do boats out which are I mean I did one a few years ago and it's still probably one of the best days of my life it was like whale Disney I've never Mm -hmm. seen anything like it wow okay and then around that area then you've got the Hemlinard Valley so you've got a Mm. wonderful wine estate that you can visit and again great restaurants there's just there's so much to do there the food scene, I've heard from many people who've been to South Africa, the food is so much better than people can even imagine. I mean, I'm probably biased, but I th- it's world it's world class. <laughs> it's just, it's, you've got, I mean, and you see it actually in the recognition that a lot of the restaurants do get worldwide, but it's, a, there's a, the culinary experience is second to none. And I think what you get in South Africa is it's even the quality of the ingredients so the fruit and vegetables are okay. really good. The meat is really good. The you know the seafood gets pulled out of the sea there and then. And so you're you're actually finding you've got chefs that are just working with these really great base ingredients. And there's a lot of there's a real mm-hmm. culture of sort of farm to table eating. So a lot of the wineries okay. are growing growing their own produce and they're making the dishes from that. So it's it's very sort of eat local which i think works very well so it's yeah and i've 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 always heard that the vineyards are really encouraged to increase the biodiversity in their vineyards that's a big thing isn't it in south africa yeah it's it's a really sort of fundamental part of the winemaking philosophy in south africa and sustainability is kind of core to how people operate you've got the winelands in this really unique environment so it's a biodiversity hot spot they've got more plant species Mm -hmm. i think than the whole of the northern hemisphere so all of the farms a lot (laughs) (laughs) Um, all of the farms that have areas that they can conserve have so we've got more land that is under conservation than we have under vines wow so yeah it's and sustainability to so the biodiversity aspect is is a really sort of core part of the South African wine industry but then it goes much broader than that so we have um we had a sustainability seal launch actually 10 years ago so it's okay. the 10 year anniversary of that happy anniversary and like do <laughs> <laughs> um and that's that it was an industry-wide sustainability initiative which was unique at the time south africa was a real world leader in terms of sustainability mm-hmm. um, and that goes so it goes to protecting biodiversity but also things like waste and water management use of chemicals in the vineyards so it's it's a big part of the south african wine industry is really future-proofing the industry Great. so that we still have an industry in 10 years time 
And so we've done Stellenbosch. We've eaten loads of delicious food in the town of Stellenbosch and, of course, incredible wines there. Then we've headed east and we've gone to Ermanus, which is that incredible coastal town where you can well watch. The the wine regions around that would be Hemlinard and Elgin and that's your Pinot Noirs, yeah, your, exactly. your, your Chardonnay. So this is obviously all, this is the much cooler climate region here. What's the difference in timing? I know you said even from Cape Town, nothing's more than really two hours hours ish so from Stellenbosch down to the Elgin wine region and Hemelinard how long would that take roughly uh, it's about an hour hour okay. and a half okay fab so not it's you know not far at all you can you can definitely tick off a good few wine regions if you go for okay. even a week I think you can see so much fab um, but you know if you have it if you had a month you could feel that ah, <laughs> nice now would you go any further or would you come back and start going up north slightly yeah, I mean, you've, again, you've got um, areas like Franchuk, mm-hmm. which is that's probably the kind of culinary capital, or it's certainly viewed yes. viewed as such. Um, and it's very, uh, I'd say, it's very sort of picture perfect there. You've got this one long street that's got all these gorgeous sort of shops and restaurants oh, with nice. some very very high end guest houses. Um, but it's it's the kind of classy bit, but. Okay. If you really want to explore, I think areas like um, Robertson and Swartland. Mm, there's a lot going on with Swartland, more, right? In terms of, I mean, in terms of tourism, it's it's not. There's one very lovely hotel in Rebeck Castell that makes you feel like you're in a film. Oh wow! Um, okay. But in terms of the um, in terms of the winemaking, I mean, Swartland was an area that abandoned. Really kind of yeah, exactly. You had, and um, you know, we should we should talk about these sort of old vine story as well because mm-hmm. that's um, really interesting. But yeah, you had it was it was wheat. There was all these old vineyards. It was it was just big production that went into the co-ops, and then it was discovered by a lot of our new wave winemakers, and just became one of the most exciting regions. And all of those winemakers started working together. So they, you know, they formed the Swartland kind of collective and they mm-hmm. talked about the region in a new way, um, were making wines that were very different in style. And yeah, it's, it's had a big influence, I think, on winemaking per se now in South Africa. Um, but just, it feels so rural out there. It feels like you're in a different world. You've got these big skies, big landscapes. Nice. Uh, it's very beautiful but it's all dry farmed as well it's not just the old vines it's dry farmed as well isn't it a lot of the yeah predominantly and i have heard that it is the hub for the natural wine scene so i suppose that goes in hand in hand with the young winemakers right yeah i think yeah i think that's absolutely fair and then you're then you're getting sort of other quite there's another area that's really coming to the fore now which is the Bredekliff, um which okay. is again sort of you're you're inland there's a, a lot of old vine shenan in that area but you're again it's it's been kind of rediscovered by these younger winemakers that are making small castles of wine and really getting to grips with the vineyards and and the viticulture so did you say the grunekluf is that breeder oh breederkluf oh, god there's so yeah breederkluf okay so we are going a little bit further <laughs> south and east my god yeah there's so there's quite a lot of kluffs isn't there in south africa there are a lot of kluffs. <laughs> 
<laughs> so this one's the Breedaglyph. Great, we love that. Oh, that's so funny. So what? So yes, the old vine scheme, right? You can now have labels, stickers put on your on your bottles if you've got uh, vines from a really old vineyard because everything's been registered. Is that correct? Yeah. So it's just been quite an exciting development to South Africa, the okay. old vine project. It started um, with probably our best-known viticulturist, Rosa Kruger. Yay, women and winemakers! She, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's, she's an amazing lady. Yes. And, and she was aware of old vines from travelling around mm-hmm. in France and Italy and, and started trying to find the vineyards in South Africa. And at the time, I think the information about the age of the vines couldn't be released. So she oh, was okay. dri- driving around finding these vineyards and sourcing these vineyards for some of these as they were then the kind of new wave winemakers Mm -hmm. and they were these sort of old forgotten blocks that were either just sort of going into mass you know going into the co-ops and just being blended with anything else Mm -hmm. and she started to just write them down and, and, and register them. And then I think it was around 2014, the, the industry kind of information body agreed that they would share with her the list of vineyards that were older than 35 years mm. so that she was able to start registering these. Um, and then it was around 2016 that uh, Johan Rupert helped sort of sponsor and set up the old vine project mm-hmm. and Rosa was then working with two guys Andre Morgenthal and, and Jaco Engelbrecht and it became a more a more formal organization yeah. and so now you, you can get the it's the certified heritage vineyard seal Love which, that. Um, is for all all vineyards all wines that have got vineyards that are over 35 years old and it says on it what, what year was the planting date so that's been a really exciting development I think for South Africa and you just get such interesting wines I think they're very expressive you get a real sense of place from these old vines Mm. what I think is quite great about this seal is in Europe what do we have we have in France you know vieille vigne might say that on the label well what is old vines that's that's always the thing how old is old vines and there's not really any information it's great that in South Africa you get this seal and you're actually getting the exact year on that bottle telling you yeah how old it is that's wonderful so yeah. is it mainly Chenin Blanc or is there other great varieties that are doing really so good? Chenin, Chenin definitely I mean obviously Chenin's our most widely planted variety anyway yeah. um but we're seeing all sorts of Pinotage and Sanso, mm. um, Chardonnay. There's there's a lot of old vines. I think it's about about twenty percent of our vineyards are twenty years or older. So okay. there are there are quite although obviously that twenty is not part of the OVP. That's um, it has to be at least yeah thirty five yeah okay at least thirty five. Yeah. And there's about three thousand three thousand five hundred hectares are included in this this certification yeah. so it's quite a lot of vineyards quite a lot of vines yeah and i think what's important to note with the old vine project while it's about preserving these old vineyards it's about making sure that they're not just uprooted and that they disappear the idea of kind of future proofing it's also about planting to grow old as well so making mm-hmm. sure that we've got these plantings happening so that we can invest in old vines of the future 
So you've been working for Wines of South Africa for the last 13 years. Do you think this is the most interesting kind of scheme system certification that's going on? Or is there a few other things that are quite iconic or really bringing the wine scene up in South Africa? I think with South Africa, one of the things is that there are so many stories to draw from. So I think I think the old vine project has been a really important story for South Africa and it's something that has really captured people's imaginations and I think cemented South Africa as having a, a quality image. And I think also it's it's drawn on something that we've always talked about with South Africa where it's this sort of mix of old world and new world. Mm-hmm. We've got this long we've got this history, we've got this heritage, we've got an industry that's three hundred and sixty plus years old. And I think it's helped to kind of bring that to life. But then as we talked about sustainability, 10 years ago, the sustainability seal launching was a real okay, yeah. landmark for mm-hmm. South Africa. And then we've had these kind of regional initiatives that have brought the country to life as well. So Scotland is one. Um, but we have the wine routes that all work quite closely together to promote their regions. And they're very, very different regions as well, I think. With South Africa, you have this kind of treasure trove of winemaking possibilities mm. and the wines that you get in in Robertson are completely different to the wines that you get in Swartland, Paul, Stellenbosch, and there's all those stories to tell as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then I think just the personality of our winemakers is something that really draws <laughs> attention. You know, you've just got this kind of, you know, it's, it's a very fun, it's a very friendly, it's a very hospitable industry. Um, one of the sad things, obviously, now with with COVID, is that we don't get to enjoy that hospitality. But yeah. you know, you go there, somebody cooks you some amazing braai. Mm. It, it's just it's just a very fun place to be. Nice. Well, we are coming. We will come. Now, I, <laughs> <laughs> I just just because it. It's the great variety that some people love, some people don't, but it is the great variety of South Africa. Pinotage. I just want to know, what do you think personally of Pinotage? Do you think that it's getting more interesting? Is there a region where it seems to be showing better? I think with Pinotage, it's, it's one of those, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's distinctly South African. Mm-hmm. It's, it's had a sort of checkered history, um, but it's always been something that's been a, a unique calling card for South Africa. Of course, yeah. And I think what what we've seen with the way Pinotage is handled now, lots of people talk about sort of hands-off winemaking and okay. the importance of viticulture and then treating treating the grapes very gently and delicately once you're actually in the winemaking process. And I think Pinotage is a variety that's benefited from that kind of approach okay. to, to make these, you know, quite soft, more delicate styles that aren't kind of heavily oaked, aren't sort of aged in tiny new oak barrels. <laughs> um, and it's, I think the varieties benefited from that and, and winemakers that have really tried to kind of get under the skin of Pinotage, I guess, and, and understand the variety and how to get the best out of it. And there's some really lovely examples now in South Africa. Would you say that the examples coming out that are doing best are more towards that lighter, even gamay style? Or do you think it's being driven by the bigger, bolder, even still with a hands-off style, maybe less oak, but the more richer, more concentrated styles? Or both? <laughs> I, I, I think probably the slightly more delicate winemaking okay. styles are the ones that are shaping 
the future for Pinotage. I think, you know, you can still, it still has a lot of flavour, you can still get a lot out of the wine, but I think you don't want it over-extracted, you don't want it very heavily oaked. That's, I think it's, yeah, you want you want to kind of respect the variety, I guess. Mm. So it's exciting. We're having potentially fresher pinotage, beautiful old vines, amazing food, which people need to try, animals, plants, biodiversity. So we, whilst we can't it's, fly. It's all. Yeah, every box is picked. <laughs> absolutely. Well, we will do our bit to drink South African because there's obviously every great variety grows there effectively anyway. So we can we can take our pick, can't we? Yeah, and again, I think that's something that we're very lucky with South Africa is that you do just have this whole kind of, we've always said, you know, it's, it's all about variety and we can we can do Sauvignon, we can do Chenin, we can do Chardonnay. It's, we don't we don't have one thing that we hang our hat on. We've got something for everybody. Perfect. There we go. And you'll be all there waiting for us when we arrive. <laughs> Ready to welcome you. <laughs> yes, it will happen. Joe, thank you so much. I think we should get our diaries out and start planning now. Well, let's put <laughs> let's pencil something in and just see what happens, right? <laughs> and just hope exactly. for the best. Oh, bless you. Thank you so much for kind of just giving us a bit of a description and certainly getting me a bit excited about the idea of uh, coming on some travels and, and where to go nice to know that the wine regions are quite close to Cape Town so we can fit it all in so that's brilliant we'll be in contact when we come when we come and see South Africa we'll get some more yeah, well, thank you it's been really lovely chatting oh, to you about it thank you so much and here's to South African wine Cheers. there really is so many great varieties so you could get lost with the wines of South Africa in fact Joe just told me when we stopped recording that Albarino has just been planted by Newton Johnson, who are in the Hemel Anard region. So that'll be really interesting to see how that tastes. I just saw on the list of the 109 grape varieties listed for South Africa, Assetico is even planted there. And recently I drank a beautiful wine, which was Hush Levelu grape, which is a Hungarian grape by the Lemberg winery. So, so much to check out. Now, talking about grape varieties, that leads me to the question I asked you about Pinotage. So let's talk about this signature grape variety from South Africa. So interestingly enough, Pinotage is the signature variety of South Africa, but only accounts for 7.3% of the plantings there. Now, the reason for that, really, it is a grape variety that hasn't really had the best of reputations, but do not let that put you off because there really are some stunning examples. So let's go back to when it all started. So this is in 1925. A professor called Abraham Perold created this crossing. He took Pinot Noir. The reason for this, he wanted that finesse of Pinot Noir, but Pinot Noir grows in cool climates. It does not do well in hot weather. So he took Sanso, beautiful Mediterranean variety that you're going to find down in the south of France. It loves heat. And he thought by combining the two and crossing them, he would get a heat resistant Pinot Noir. He did not get that at all. But we will talk about aromas and flavours in a second. Now, why was it called Pinotage? So Pinot comes from Pinot Noir and Tage comes from the word Hermitage. So back in the early 1900s, they were calling Sanso Hermitage, hence the name Pinotage. So what he actually did, he grew some seeds in his garden to create this and then nothing really happened and it was almost ignored for another half a century. It really wasn't until the 
you know, 1980s, 1990s that people started playing around with this grape variety. Now, what does it taste like? This is the issue. Now, if it's not handled well, that's when you get the negative aroma that people describe as acetone or nail varnish remover, or if you're being polite, perhaps banana skins. However, in tiny little amounts, if grown properly, you get more like plums, plum sauce, cherries, blackberries, licorice and tar. There's a bit of an earthiness, a bramble note. And there's these kind of Mediterranean spices, sometimes a bit of a sweet and sour kind of flavour to it. It can be vinified in a way that it's a much lighter style without oak, or it can be much more concentrated and powerful. And of course, then you're going to get more smoky, spicy flavours to it. That in itself can be quite confusing because if you don't know the producer or you haven't already had somebody explain what the wine is going to taste like you don't know if you're getting a big bold style or a lighter style as joe mentioned it does seem that the success maybe will be coming with the slightly less oaked lighter styles so time will tell but this is actually a really good food wine obviously the south african brise these barbecues think of cajun spiced blackened cod or venison burgers or lovely lamb grills that's going to go really really well if you do have a lighter style charcuterie or some nice kind of spiced sausages would be good but the medium body and plus all these kind of mediterranean spices in there think about those kind of foods lebanese food aubergines vegetables baba ghoulash Pinotage has real potential for a massive amount of food pairings. So it's a lot of fun to play around with. Now, because it hasn't always had the best reputation, it's really not a great variety that has traveled the world and gone anywhere else. Hence, this is the signature variety of South Africa. If you want to try Pinotage and you don't know quite where to go, perhaps a few recommendations that I can personally say I've done a wine video already. If you want to look on YouTube, just search Eat Sleep Wine Repeat and you can find a little bit more of a video on Pinotage and Cannon Cop, the winery Cannon Cop. They have probably been the winery that has brought international recognition to the Pinotage variety. They do a black label Pinotage. It's going to cost you nearly £150, but <laughs> only about 15,000 bottles, 60 plus year old vines, and it is a cracking version. And no, I have not tasted that. But in the wine video, I've tasted their slightly more affordable £30 one, and that was delicious. So I can only imagine how good this black label one is. Now, the winemaker from Cannon Cop, that's Abri Bislas, he has created his own wine label called Bisla. So go and check out that for Pinotage. Another really interesting Pinotage that I've had is by Chamonix. Whereas those two Pinotage wines were from Stellenbosch, if you go over to Franchhoek, you have Chamonix, a winery that makes a pinotage, which is very interesting. Some of the grapes are done by carbonic maceration, which makes them soft, juicy, really, really fruity. And then some, the grapes are dried on the vine. So then you get this kind of Amarone style, apasamiento style mixed in. Very interesting. And then if you want something completely different, you have Smionkop in Elgin. Now, Elgin is where you have much more kind of cool climate varieties growing. Everything is biodynamic. Everything is naturally fermented again. So if you like the natural scene, go and check out the Spion Cop. And he has a much more fresher, very interesting pinotage there. So that maybe gives you a little bit of a start. But the list is endless. There are plenty of gorgeous pinotages to go and try. 
So to finish off with, I found a gorgeous quote from Salvador Dali, and he says, Great wine requires a madman to grow the vine, a wise man to watch over it, a lucid poet to make it, and a lover to drink it. So to all you wine lovers out there, have an absolutely fantastic week. And just to let you know, next week there will be no podcast because fingers crossed I will be on holiday. So just listen to this one twice and you will be fine. (laughs) If you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, please do. As I always say, share this with all those other wine lovers out there. It's super appreciated. Thank you for all your comments so far, all your reviews, anything that you've sent to me, for all those of you who have been in contact and make sure you like and get five stars if you're listening on iTunes. I'll love you forever. So have an awesome week and cheers to you.